Let's pray. Lord, that is our prayer, that your spirit would fall afresh upon us today. Lord, fill me, use me uh, as I proclaim your word and open up our hearts to hear from your spirit today. Speak, O Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Pentecost. It's known as the birthday of the church. And one of the primary questions, uh, questions that we are interested in during this sermon series in the book of Acts is what is the church? Who are we and what are we called to be? Questions, I believe, made all the more pressing in a world turned upside down. Uh, questions made pressing in light of Jesus' return. How shall we live? How shall we conduct ourselves in the short time that the Lord has given us in our lives? And if you want to know the purpose of something, you really have to go back to the origins. Uh, and I told many of you, one of my uh, pandemic accomplishments was watching all of the Marvel movies. And uh, yes, thank you. Why, why is use of time? I'm sure. And, and um, so you, the, the, one of the, the last movie, the culminating movie was a movie called Endgame. And you, most of you are familiar with this movie. Can I get a hand raised if you've seen the movie? Okay, good amount. Well, in this movie, it's, it's I'm not going to give any spoilers in case you're like me and you haven't watched it yet, but really it's, it's the culmination. And, you, and if, you watch, if you watch that movie without watching any of the ones before, you would be totally confused. You'd be asking yourself, why are these people teaming up together against these people? What is this battle that's going on that the whole universe is caught up in? And where do these people get all these strange powers? Did you notice that these are the same questions you might be asking about the church? Why are these people caught up in this universal battle and struggle? Where is this strange power coming from that these people have together? And what are they trying to do? You see, almost every superhero movie starts off with what's called an origin story. It shows the background of how that hero got their powers, got their start, where they come from, and what they are doing. And so today, we're going to go back to the origin story of the church. And look at the book of Acts and how this whole thing got started because we're 2,000 years in. It's been a while. So let's go back to the beginning and understand who we are, what we're called to be. So what can we learn from our origin story? Let me recap a little bit. Remember from last week, uh, Jesus had told the disciples to wait for the Holy Spirit who would empower them to be witnesses for Jesus unto the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to the throne he ascends to heaven. He goes behind the curtain of the world. He's still here. We can't see him. Uh, but the, and then the church, after that, the church prayerfully selects uh, a replacement for Judas with a man named Matthias. I'm sorry, Matthias. That's all I can say about your, your namesake. I'm not going to preach on him today. He's important though, all right? Uh, so they pick Matthias. And then, then from heaven, Jesus miraculously pours out the Holy Spirit on the church. And they begin to speak in other tongues. And now people from all over the world, they have gathered in Jerusalem for the festival of Pentecost. And these people from all these different nations, they begin hearing the apostles in their own language. And people are confused. People say, maybe these people are drunk. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> and then Peter stands up and he gives the church his first sermon. And he begins to quote a lot from the Old Testament. Because yes, friends, it's the birth of the church, but this story goes all the way back to Genesis. It goes all the way back to the beginning, what God has been designing and doing in the earth. And God had promised his people that one day, 
he would pour out his spirit on all of them. Not just special leaders like Moses, but on everyone, men and women, sons and daughters, young and old, the spirit would be poured out and they could prophesy. And so Peter is saying that this phenomenon you are witnessing right now, it's happening because of Jesus. He is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament prophecies and promises. And God actually had accredited him to you by powerful miracles. But you put him to death on the cross. But all of this was God's plan. Jesus died. He rose again. He's ascended to the right hand of God. And from there, he has poured out what God had promised, the Holy Spirit. And so he concludes this sermon in verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Whew. Wow. And we know that this was really only a summary of what Peter said that day. It wasn't the entire sermon, because Luke tells us in verse 40, with many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them, save yourselves, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Now, Peter is speaking to a Jewish audience. He's in Jerusalem, and he is saying, God sent the Messiah. You know the one we've been waiting for? You know the one that the prophets predicted and promised? Yeah, you killed him. You killed him on the cross. And this whole generation will be under the condemnation of God for that. But Peter is saying, even though you have participated in the absolute biggest blunder in human history, you have done the worst thing I could possibly think of. But guess what? There's still hope for you. You can still save yourself by trusting in Jesus' name. There's still hope. And you might feel today, maybe, maybe for you, you feel like you've blown it. You feel like you've messed up your whole life. You feel like there's no mercy for you. You can't be forgiven. That's not true. You can still be saved through Jesus Christ. And in verse 37, it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Oh, they were pierced to the heart, it says. They were cut to the heart. What should we do in response to this message? Have you had that experience with Jesus yet? Have you had that experience with the gospel? Oh, I'm cut to my heart. What should I do? What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Friends, within these verses and the following, there are a few points I'd like to make about regarding who we are in our origin story, who the church is, how we got started. The first is this. We are repentant people, baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We are repentant people, baptized in the, na in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. The very first thing a would-be follower of Jesus must do is repent. Repent. Repentance means turning from sin and turning towards God. It means, yes, changing your thinking. Oh, I was so wrong. I am a sinner. And it means changing your actions, changing your life. I am now going to follow God and make him my king and my Lord. And repentance was always the foundational message of Jesus. Uh, the Gospel of Mark summarizes Jesus' message. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So do you see how Peter 
is continuing the same message Jesus gave. Or rather, as we talked about last week, Jesus is still active. Jesus is continuing the same message he was giving through his servants, through his servant Peter. So you want to respond to the gospel? Start with repentance. Start with repentance. And repentance, friends, it's more than just turning from sin and trying to be a better person. The call to repentance is always in light of the kingdom. There is a new king in charge. There's a new Lord on the throne. It's the fact that Jesus is now king. And so those who want to enter the kingdom must submit to their lives to the new king. Repentance means dying to all other loyalties, all other allegiances, dying to yourself and embracing Jesus as king over your whole life. It's surrendering to Jesus, you're my Lord. So if you, like to, if you, if you would like for Jesus to be your savior, he must also be your Lord and your king. It's a whole conversion of your life over to Jesus. Now, the Jews, they had a way of helping people uh, go through conversion process if they wanted to go from uh, a Gentile to join Judaism. And they would uh, utilize the practice of baptism. And so John the Baptist and the early Christians, they took over this practice from the Jews. And so in some ways, it was very scandalous to say, because Peter's talking to a Jewish audience, he's saying, yes, even you must convert your whole life over to Jesus Christ. So baptism became the sign of repentance. And this was a very, a very humbling act. Now in Jerusalem, and you can still see these to this day, I saw them with my own eyes, there are all these ritual baths all around Jerusalem called mikvahs. And what people do is they would, they would go into this, this little ritual bath and they would go down into the stairs and immerse themselves in water and then walk back up the stairs so that they could be ritually pure and clean. And in fact, as they approached the waters, they had to completely disrobe and go in naked down into the water and come back up out of the water and then get new clothes on. And so the Christians took this over. And so they would go down into the bath disrobe and as they get into the water they would confess jesus is lord jesus is lord of my life and come back up out of the water showing their repentance showing their conversion and then of course they would put some clothes back on and there, what's interesting though friends is the reason for why they would do these baths uh, these were all over jerusalem because of the temple and if you wanted to go to the temple where god's presence was most manifested, you had to be ritually clean. You had to be ritually clean, so you had to wash in water. So in order to draw near to God, you had to wash in the water, you had to be clean. So now baptism, it signifies that our hearts and souls have been cleansed of sin because of our repentance and belief in Jesus. And therefore now we don't go to the temple, but we have become the temple. God's spirit can now dwell within because we've been made clean through the blood of Jesus. So another illustration that the Apostle Paul uses in 1 Corinthians is, is, how, is about the crossing of the Red Sea during Exodus. And how we understand this is that God delivered the people out of Egypt, out of slavery with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And it says he protected them from judgment through the blood of the Passover lamb. And then they crossed through the Red Sea, through the water, onto the other side, into the Promised Land, where they were given the law, how to live as God's people. And then the very climax of the story is the building of the tabernacle. 
which would exist in the middle of the camp and where God's spirit and presence would be poured out upon the tabernacle and dwell. Friends, in the same way, through Christ, we too have been delivered out of slavery to sin, out of our bondage to sin. The blood of the lamb who was crucified at Passover weekend, it covers us and saves us from judgment. And we don't pass through the Red Sea, we pass through the waters of baptism. We go down into the water, symbolizing our repentance. And then on the other side, we're going to live in the promised land of God. We're saying, I'm leaving Egypt. I'm leaving the idols and gods of this world. I'm leaving all of my sin in order to live with God's people. And the climax of the whole thing is God's spirit is going to come and dwell inside me. Hallelujah, how amazing that is. That's the climax of the whole thing. And friends, notice how all of this happens as the people of God. It happens together. Yes, the individuals cross the Red Sea, but God delivers all of them together. He brings them to the other side so they can be a people. He fills them as, as a people of God to live in, under a new covenant together. So what is the church? We are repentant people. We recognize that we are sinners and must turn our lives totally over to Jesus Christ. We are baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We are forgiven people. And we are people surrendered to King Jesus together. That's who we are. So that's number one. Number two, who are we? We are those who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter in his sermon, he, repli or he replies to their question by saying, what should we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying, you're going to be made clean through Jesus in the waters of baptism. You're now ready to become temples of the living God. God will come dwell in you. You know, I think we often think of the gospel really as being the, the offer of only the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. As if that weren't amazing enough, <laughs> all your sins forgiven, eternal life with God forever. But that is not necessarily the only thing or the main thing. Because the climax is the, the Holy Spirit coming to dwell with believers. And biblical, one biblical scholar says, after the forgiveness of sins, the transforming and empowering presence of God's Spirit, distributed by Jesus, the exalted Lord, is the central offer of the gospel, which Peter and the other apostles proclaim. Saying this is what's been promised. This is what's been prophesied and predicted about. The Holy Spirit coming to dwell in you and among us. And this is, isn't it interesting? This is the very first thing Peter mentions after people enter the kingdom. You're going to repent and put your trust in Jesus and you're going to receive the gift of the Spirit. That's the first thing. That's the first thing you need. Friends, what can I say? What can I say about the Holy Spirit? A couple years ago, I did an eight-week series on the Holy Spirit. So you can imagine there's a, there's a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. But I briefly want to say three things from which the Holy, for which the Holy Spirit imparts to us as a gift. And the first is holiness. The Spirit's main designation is holy. Could have been any other attribute, but he's called the Holy Spirit. He is all about making us holy and helping us live holy lives. In fact, one of the prophets, a man named Ezekiel, he said that the time is coming when God, is, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. 
I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. You see, the problem with the old covenant under Moses was it was broken because of sin. And the, the prophet said, these people are so stiff-necked, they do not respond to God's laws and God's ways. And so God says, there's going to come a new day when my spirit is going to be in you and I'm going to move you. I'm going to inspire you. I'm going to direct you to follow my decrees, to follow my ways, to be my people. So the spirit is in us so that we might live holy lives. And so we're not on our own to do this, but it's the Spirit who empowers us to follow in the ways of Jesus. The second gift that the Spirit gives us is what's called spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit is the fulfillment of God's promise from the prophet Joel, which Peter quoted from in his sermon. And God, it says in the last days, God says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, friends, in the Old Covenant, Moses was really the, the only one uh, in the community who could talk directly with God. Remember how he would go into the tent of meeting and ask God for direction and come back out and, and say, this is what the Lord says. And uh, in fact, at one point, Moses cries out. It's an amazing prayer. In Numbers 11.29, when do we talk about the book of Numbers? But Moses says this, I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses saying, I want everybody to have the spirit. I want everybody to be able to go talk to God like I do. Talk to him face to face and hear from him. Guess what? Moses' prayer was answered on Pentecost. Everybody, it says, the Holy Spirit is poured out on. And every single one of us you can go into the tent of meeting like Moses. You can talk to God directly. You can hear from the Holy Spirit. And it says even we can prophesy. Now that simply means that we can hear from God. We're hearing from God and we're speaking out what God is saying to the people. And Peter says this will be, this gift will be for young and old, men and women. Anybody. There is no, there's no distinction. There's no special Moses. There is, everybody's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? We're living in these times. This is true for us. And finally, the third thing that the Holy Spirit gives us is power for mission. Power for mission. And I mentioned this before, so I'll be brief, but remember in Acts 1-8, Jesus said, you wait for the Holy Spirit, power, power will come upon you from on high, and you will be my witnesses unto the ends of the earth. So the Holy Spirit is the one who empowers us, sends us out into the world to make disciples of all nations. And this is what the church did. In spite of persecution, in spite of numerous obstacles, in spite of discouragement and trial, they brought the gospel to the world. So the Spirit gives us holiness for life, gifts to build up the church, and power for mission. And I simply want to ask, if this power is available to you, are you seeking to be filled with the Spirit? Are you seeking to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you seeking his guidance, his empowerment, his direction? It's, we have power beyond what we can imagine. We just need to be open. Finally, we learn from our origin story. We are those who are devoted 
to Christian community. We are devoted to Christian community. After the church is filled with the Holy Spirit and they repent and are baptized, one of the first things they do is devote themselves to Christian community. And what I mean by Christian community is everything that Luke lays out in verses 42 through 47. It says they devoted themselves. They continually persevered in the following things. The apostles' teaching. That's the life of Jesus, the core doctrines of the gospel and the kingdom. And that teaching eventually came to be summarized in what we have as the New Testament and the Apostles' Creed. They devoted themselves to this and to the study of it. They also devoted themselves to fellowship, this, this sense of togetherness, this life together. And uh, I, I would add on to that, that fellowship is usually connected with the sharing of resources. Isn't that interesting? I think we often think of cookies and coffee. But look what, look what happens in verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. If the Holy Spirit has made us family, if we truly are all brothers and sisters in Christ, then what's mine is yours. What's mine is yours. What's yours is mine. We're all in this together. And if I have extra property, if I have extra resources, if I have extra money and you're in need, then I'm going to make sure that your need is met because we are one. We are family. You know, brothers and sisters is the most common designation for the church in the New Testament. We are a fellowship. We are a family. We are uh, brothers and sisters. We share our stuff. And if anybody has a need, we make sure that need is met. And I just invite you to, you know, Look around right now. Look around at each other. Do you consider these people your family? Do you consider them your brother, your sister? I think the answer for many of us is yes. Yes, we do. So let's take care of one another when we have need. The, the, uh, the early church, they devote themselves to teaching, to fellowship. Then it says to the breaking of bread. Now, this would be the both regular sharing of meals and the celebration of the Lord's Supper at those meals, where they remember his death, his life, his resurrection, and they would rehearse the gospel and be reconciled one to another. And finally, it says they devoted themselves to prayer or to the prayers, whether in the temple or in the homes. This connection they had with God was now available by the Holy Spirit, and so prayer marked the early church as a lifestyle when they were together. And I believe that we have the same Holy Spirit today. And the Holy Spirit will, I think, typically almost always lead the church to prioritize these four things. Because the Spirit was poured out, then what did the church do? They did these four things. If the Spirit is guiding us, we will be devoted to the apostles' teaching. We will sacrificially uh, give generously because of our fellowship. We will break bread together in Jesus' name. And we will devote ourselves to communal prayer. N.T. Wright says, where the church today finds itself stagnant, unattractive, humdrum, or shrinking, and sadly there may be many churches in the Western world, at least which this has to be admitted, it's time to read Acts 2, 42 through 47 again. Get down on our knees and ask what isn't happening that should be happening. The gospel hasn't changed, God's power hasn't diminished, and people still need rescuing. What are we going to do about it? Brothers and sisters, 2,000 years ago, the church was born. 
Jesus now is continuing his kingdom work through our hands and our feet. So when we look at our origin story, we're in endgame right now. What was our origin story? What was the origin story? Who are we? We are repentant people, baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We have received the gift of the Holy Spirit, and we are devoted to Christian community. And my prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit would so pierce our hearts like he did that crowd 2,000 years ago. Oh, what should we do? What should we do in response to this truth? Let me just give you a few things to consider from the three elements of our story today. If you haven't already, if you're watching me online, if you haven't done this, repent and put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins and make Jesus your King and your Lord. That's the first thing we should do. Secondly, we need to uh, seek to be guided by the Holy Spirit. You know, I think we've been so shaped by our culture, which has a very naturalistic worldview, that we, we filter out the supernatural. We filter out that God is actually speaking and working. We can be tempted to do this. And uh, one thing that I have found helpful is that actually, Laura and I have made a commitment that if one of us has a godly idea, that we're gonna support that idea. If, if one of us says, hey, let's pray together, or hey, maybe we should sing some worship songs, or maybe we should reach out to this person, or maybe we should have these people over for dinner, or maybe we should go serve here. We, instead of saying, eh, you know, I'm not sure, we're gonna say, you know what, I trust the Holy Spirit is inspiring that idea because it's a godly idea. If it sounds like Jesus, if it sounds like the Holy Spirit, it's probably the Holy Spirit. So just pay attention. Pay attention to those promptings. Pay attention to those ideas, those thoughts that come to you. And if it's godly, if it's good, if you're discerning it according to the word of God, trust that the Spirit is going to be prompting you and moving you to engage in mission, to engage in prayer, to engage in fellowship. These four things we just talked about, the Spirit is wanting to prompt you into these things. So be open. And finally, the last thing I want to say is I believe we need a revolution in our commitment, in our devotion to Christian community. You know, the early church, they were devoted to gathering. They were devoted to gathering in community. And being devoted to something means you'll say yes to that over other things. You'll say no to other things so that you can be devoted to what you're devoted to. And friends, I have to be honest, when I look at the church today, most churches today, and I'm not picking on anybody in particular at all, but when I look at churches today, I, I find the opposite is true. It seems we are devoted to almost everything else but the church. If there's ever a conflict or a commitment, if, the, if it doesn't fit my kid's schedule, or if I have a, a sports thing going on, or a movie to catch, or, a, or a, a, a play, or a music thing, or family thing, it doesn't matter. It seems like, well, that takes precedence. That takes priority. I'm gonna skip the church thing so I can be devoted to the other thing. We're devoted to everything else, it seems like. You know, in churches and pastors and youth leaders all around America, they hear from people all the time. Sorry, I can't make it. I have something else going on. I have a family thing, whatever it is. What if it was the opposite? What if coaches started hearing, sorry, I can't make it to the game because we have a church commitment. Has any coach heard that in the last 10 years in the church's life? What if the school started hearing, sorry, we can't make it to that, uh, that event. My family has a church commitment. And what if kids started hearing from their parents, sorry, you're gonna have to miss out on that because we're committed to going to church. 
We're committed to this event. We're committed to this discipleship. You know, my mom, God bless my mom, she forced me to go to Wednesday night church. I didn't want to go. But she said, this is a non-negotiable. This, non this is a family thing. This is a family commitment. You're going. And God bless my mom. That's how I got saved. That's how I came to Christ. Week in and week out, showing up to youth group, building relationships, going to church camp, because my mom said, this is a non-negotiable. You're going. I didn't want to go, but she was devoted. And I'm sure many of you have stories. You have a mom or a grandmom or, or somebody who said, we're bringing you. We're bringing you anyway. We need that type of commitment in the church, devoted to one another. So my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would convict us and move us to radical devotion so that we would actually say yes to the church and no to other things. And friends, I know there's all discernment. This is all discernment. So I grant you that discernment. But would you ask yourselves, are you devoted? Are you devoted to the Christian community? Is it a devotion in your life? And friends, I believe that all of us are here. We're here right now, 2,000 years removed from the origin story because the early church and generations before us, they were devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to the fellowship. They were devoted to breaking of bread and prayer and to spreading the gospel. And we're here because of their devotion. Don't you think the next generation after us owes all of our devotion so that we can pass on to them what it means to be the church and be on mission. So friends, may we repent, may we be filled with the Spirit, and may the Spirit lead us to be devoted to the things that the early church was devoted to 2,000 years ago. And as we do this, as we are filled with the Spirit, as we break bread, as we pray, as we worship, that's how we are empowered for this mission. God has not left us to ourselves. He is with us. So let us be open, let us be devoted, let us be filled with the Spirit.